Sentire Media. Hello everyone and welcome to A History of Italy. Episode 39, A Sticky End and the Humiliation of Canossa. The year is 1076. Godfrey the Hunchback, Duke of Lorraine, is fresh from his attendance in January at the Synod of Worms that deposed Pope Gregory VII. The news of the Pope's excommunication of Henry IV of Germany, Godfrey's overlord, has not yet arrived. So that's one thing that isn't weighing on his mind. He has plenty of worries of his own. As a great feudal landowner, he has plenty of vassals of his own to deal with. Furthermore, he has serious marital problems. He has now been separated from his wife Matilda, Countess of Canossa, for almost five years now. The loss of his wife has also meant the de facto loss of all the lands which should have been theirs together. Instead, they find themselves on opposing sides of an international clash between the Holy Roman Empire and the papacy, with his wife siding with the Pope. As February rolls on, he finds himself in the north of his lands, near the modern-day town of Flardingen, in the Netherlands. One night, as the rest of his men are sleeping, he awakes. Big digression alert. When dealing with history, you get to talk about battles and synods and kings and popes and so on. But you don't really get the chance to deal with toilets. I haven't done much research on the topic. I have found famous people who have died on the toilet and some interesting toilet trivia. But I would be curious to know how many times history has been changed or influenced by someone needing to go to the toilet. For example, was a certain important person absent from an important meeting because they were in the toilet? Was some important decision made too quickly because the person making the decision did so while desperate for a pee? If anyone out there has any info on this, please let me know. If not, someone please write a book about it. I promise I will buy it and read it. Going back to Godfrey, he awoke during the night and made his way away from the encampment and to the toilets to do some nightly business. Now, I haven't found precise information on exactly how this toilet in particular was structured. But I assume that like most medieval toilets, it was some sort of wooden structure or a simple wooden plank with a hole in it over a hole or ditch. Little did Godfrey know that hanging around or in this toilet, there was a man who had remained hidden with very bad intentions. After poor, 
unknowing Godfrey had revealed his backside to the elements, the man, an assassin, struck. Sources vary on the exact details, as they always do, but they seem to converge on one particular. Let us follow the narration of Lambert of Hersfield. A spy who was lurking there struck him between the buttocks, leaving the sword in the wound. An Italian historian, Landolfo Signore of Milan, is even more explicit, mentioning that he was killed in a great secrecy while he was sitting on the toilet by having a sword thrust in his anus. Once again, we have a murder mystery on our hands. For the first source we mentioned, Lambert of Hersfield, the culprit was a Flemish count called Robert, a vassal of Godfrey. It's not clear if this means he simply organized the killing or was actually the man who hung around a stinky toilet for a good part of the night, waiting for Godfrey. The second source we mentioned put the blame for ordering the murder fully on Goffrey's wife, the Countess Matilda of Canossa. However, this theory, coming from an ardent enemy of Matilda, is rather discredited. The only thing she really had was a motive. Indeed, with the death of Godfrey the Hunchback of Lorraine, who left no heirs, Matilda had full power over all of her vast domains. One last thing I wonder before we move on from this gruesome tale is, how did whoever organized the murder know that Godfrey would go to the toilet during the night, that particular night? Had, had, he, had they observed his habits? Had they randomly been hanging around the toilet? What sort of weirdo does that anyway? Did they have an accomplice who fed him a few too many figs or other laxative substitute? We'll never know. As we mentioned, this happened in February, and we saw in the last episode that Henry IV, King of Germany, was excommunicated, and things started to go downhill for him as the year moved on. The winter between 1076 and 1077 was one of the coldest in the 11th century. The Anglo-Saxon Chronicle mentioned that the rivers froze all over Europe. A monk, Bertold of Reichmar, wrote that, starting in November, northern Italy was covered by such a large amount of snow that no one had living memory of seeing as much of it. The Po River froze over, forming a road that people could travel along. The poor froze in their wood and clay cabins, and wild animals were forced out of the forests and made their way into towns. Many saw the unusually cold winter as a sign from God. He was unhappy about the current situation. The cold could also be felt between the German king and his vassals. The king had gambled on his subjects backing him against Pope Gregory, but the support was tepid at best. 
Nobles never really like having a king or emperor to boss them around, and are always biting at the bit and trying to gain more independence and autonomy. The Saxons in Norman Germany had taken up arms against their king. Therefore, the excommunication of Henry by the Pope didn't actually set off Henry's trouble on its own. It was simply the spark that lit the powder. Part of the nobles and bishops of Germany wanted Henry to reach an agreement with the Pope, and forced him to accept a council in Augsburg, that was to be held on the second of February, ten seventy-seven. Pope Gregory, fearless as usual, set off from Rome, heading up to Germany for the appointment, escorted by Matilda's troops. He made his way through Tuscany. Collecting friends and allies, Siena, Florence, and then Lucca, where he met up with his good friend Anselm. Then it was through the Apennine Pass down to the Po Valley to Mantua, where he would await the German troops loyal to the papacy to escort him to Augsburg. However, before any sign of an escort could come. News that Henry the Fourth himself was on his way arrived, and it was not at all clear what his intentions were. He had made his way down with an army, which wasn't a good sign. But then it may have just been a precaution. However, as he passed through Lombardy, he got in touch and collected all of the bishops who had been excommunicated by Gregory, and that was an even worse sign. On yet another aside, please forgive me, my dear listeners. One of the men who accompanied him was a certain Amadeo of Savoy. His was a relatively new house whose members had risen to the level of counts at the start of the eleventh century. Centuries later, the house of Savoy would rise to become royalty, and one day kings of a unified Italy. That, however. Is still about eight hundred years away from where we are now. Anyway, not quite sure of what Henry's intentions were, Pope Gregory retreated from Mantua to the safer castle of Canossa to wait and see how events would unfold. As Henry arrived on the twentieth of January, ten seventy-seven, he continued to hope that his large army would be enough. For Gregory to go back on his excommunication, but the pontiff was quite ready to give up his life before that happened. At this point, Henry made a pretty clever move. On the twenty-fifth of January, he left his army at Bianello and made his way up to Canossa, and there he stood, outside the door of the castle of Canossa, where Gregory was staying, for three days. And three nights in the freezing cold, barefoot, and dressed in a penitent sinner's coarse wool, and pleaded and pleaded with the Pope. All those around him were moved, and in the end, the Pope was forced to give in. In truth, he had no choice. As a Christian and a priest, he was forced to receive the penitent sinner back into the church. Henry the Fourth was forgiven.
A solemn and sober feast was held the next day to celebrate, and the king was noticed to have been quiet and thoughtful. Some more naive observers may have thought that he was thinking about his sins and feeling repentant, but many, including Gregory, knew otherwise, and the following events proved it. Now, this event went down in history as the humiliation of Canossa, but in truth, it was a pretty big victory for Henry. He had avoided the council in Augsburg, and he had been readmitted into the church, and so the oath his vassals had made him was now valid again. Gregory knew this very well, but he could do nothing. The only thing he could do was to stress to the German nobles the fact that he had removed the excommunication but he had not reinstated Henry as king, and still intended to go to Augsburg to see if he couldn't get rid of this pesky guy in some other way. However, not knowing what the king's intentions were, and with the king's army still waiting not too far from where Gregory was, and still with no escort coming from Germany, the Pope stayed put in Matilda's castles, moving meanwhile to that of Carpineti further east. Henry, meanwhile, although he had scored a great diplomatic victory, was by no means out of the woods. His first order of business was to head down from the hills to the city of Regimilia, where the bishop, Gandolfo, who also ran the city, was on his side. That was where the excommunicated bishops who had followed the king there were fuming about what they saw as the emperor bowing to the pope, so he had to set their minds at ease, sort of, Relax, guys, I didn't mean it. I had my fingers crossed all the time. Pope Gregory had to do something similar with the German nobles, who had supported him, sending letters that were almost apologies for having removed the excommunication on Henry, saying that he had had no choice and that he had also been pestered into it by those around him, and Henry's insistent whining at the door. The German nobles were very uneasy about this situation, fearing the wrath of the king. They gave up waiting for the Pope to come along, and in a diet in Forchheim in mid-March, they elected Rudolf of Swabia as their new king. The fact of having elected a king was very important for the future of the Holy Roman Empire and for Europe. For the moment, it simply meant that the investiture controversy, which has skirted along the brink of armed conflict for years, had finally fallen over the edge and war was on the way. Next time, we'll see how things went and how Henry and Gregory both ended up. As always, thanks very much to everyone for listening. Thanks in particular to my lovely Patreon supporters, the Anita and Giuseppe Garibaldi level, Preston, Roberta, Sean and Jeff, the Matilde di Canossa and Mazzini level, Benjamin, the Margherita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, Chris, Stephen, Vincent, Jay, Shelby, Caitlin, Ben and Dean, 
and the top-level Dante Alighieri and Maria Montessori Sen. And welcome, welcome, welcome to our new Patreon supporter, Ignazio, who not only has become a Patreon supporter, but has also been in touch and donated on PayPal. Thank you, thank you very much, Ignazio, for your generosity. Remember that you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com. At the same URL, ahistoryofitaly.com, you can click through to our social media, Facebook and Twitter, and you can consult maps and timelines to help you navigate our country's complicated history. Until next time, thanks again very much for listening, and arrivederci. Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.